you have found another Oregon Music News Coffee Shop Conversation. Lucky you. From World Cup Coffee and Tea in Northwest 18th and Gleason, of course. This is OMN Editor Tom D'Antoni, the apostrophe capital A-N-T-O-N-I. With me today is one of the two faces of Jimmy Max. Jimmy Macarunas might think he is because he owns the place, but the two folks who people have grown to know and love over the years are managers Lisa Brandon Boyle and our guest in the coffee shop, John David Steubenberg, known to all far and wide as J.D. He's been at Jimmy Max since the old days before the new club was built in 2006, and he's been there almost every night since, and man does he have stories. Upcoming coffee shop conversations, I've got Michael Quinby of the Roseland Hunters, Lucy Leanna Mendoza of Ilabama, Shoehorn of the Saxon Tap Dancing, and OMN's publisher, Anna Amon. Let's talk to J.D. Well, JD, happy summer! Happy summer! Yeah. Seriously, it's not—it's barely even in July, and it's like, okay, I'm ready for the fall now. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. Yeah, like the hot weather. I mean, I grew up in Hawaii, so I love hot weather. But there's a point where you say, okay, 100 degrees? No, <laughs> this is not Arizona. <laughs> I don't want to live in Arizona. Where I live in Oregon. From, where are you from originally? Hawaii, born and raised. Oh, yep. Does it get this hot there? Not really. I mean, uh, my folks are over there right now, actually, uh-huh. and uh, my mom was complaining because the temperatures actually were high. They're in like the mid nineties, and the humidity was really up. That's it's kind of unusual. Usually, for the most part, temperatures there in the are in the eighties, and you have trade winds, yeah. which keep it pretty cool and stuff. But it's yeah. it's getting you know every time I go back home now and visit, the temperatures seem to be warmer, and it seems to be much more humid. It's you know, yeah. it's global warming is happening, man. You right. can you can deny it as much as you want to, but it's happening whether you like it or not. So. Yeah. Well, you you and Lisa are really the faces of Jimmy Max. Oh yeah. You I know? mean, we're we're going on uh going on 19 years in February. Wow. Yeah. Long time. Wow, 19 years. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of history, man. You know, it's back in the day at the old club, you know, she was down in the basement and I would be upstairs, so it was like two different things, but now yeah. Uh, you know, we're working side by side, uh, yeah. and, uh, and uh, it's, it changes up some because now, you know, we're basically just together on the weekends, uh-huh. and then the weeknights, it's only really one of us has to be there unless we have a, a special event going on or something. Yeah. So, so uh, do you have an official title? Uh, uh, jack of all trades. <laughs> um, I mean, we sort of sh- share the title of manager, yeah. but that kind of uh, involves a lot of stuff. I mean, she handles more of the – the uh, the personnel side of things like you know uh, uh-huh. uh, getting people scheduled and bringing in, uh, bringing in new people we're looking for a server right now actually uh-huh. uh, and uh, uh, things like that and uh, I do more of the um, deal more kind of with the booze side of things uh-huh. and uh, and sort of in the absence of a, of a sound person for some of our weekend gigs I kind of end up being the sound guy uh-huh. uh, but it's really just it's getting up there plugging everything in turning it on and walking away. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, at one time or another, we're going to do pretty much everything that needs to be done in there. Yeah. As far as day-to-day operations go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, I, I know that you told this story, I don't know, six or seven years ago when we when we did that that piece yeah. we did. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, on you on, on the two of you, and and how how the club operates. But uh, uh, I, I I think probably a lot of people don't know how you got there. Oh well, um, uh, the before it was the original Jimmy Max. Before it was there, it was a place called Everett Street Tavern for a bunch of years. Uh-huh. And uh, I had moved here originally in 1990, 
And then in 93, I moved back to Hawaii and I was there for uh, almost two years and came back here in the, uh, uh, the fall, fall, yeah, the fall of 94. And, um, I was kind of just kind of bopping around and I ended up playing pool with some friends and we started playing on a pool team, uh, that played at the old Everett Street Tavern down in the basement. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, which was actually 20 years ago, it was spring of 95. And, um, and then, uh, things happened, Everett Street ended up closing. Uh, we took our team, moved to another place, so on and so forth. And then the following summer, uh, my friend Daniel Sass, God bless him, he lives in Jerusalem now. Uh, he was driving down Everett Street and, uh, he had actually worked at the old Everett Street Tavern. That's why we were uh-huh. playing pool there. And I was driving down, he sees this new place open up, pulls over, goes in, talks to Jimmy. And at that point, the basement wasn't even open yet. It was just the upstairs. Yeah. Uh, but there was a pool table up there. It's before, uh, the kitchen got expanded. It was yeah. a bigger space up there. And he said, Hey, you know, we had a pool team played here. We'd love to come back and we'd love this place. We'd love to come back and play again. And Jimmy said, Oh, hey, you know, I'm actually working on the basement right now. We're going to have to open. We'll have a couple tables down there. Bring it. You know, business is business. Get him in the door. And so we started shooting pool there. And, uh, and uh Monday nights and so Jimmy would end up being our bartender downstairs and it wasn't really all that busy, but you know, uh, I told him I was working for McCormick and Schmicks at the time. Uh-huh. Uh the old restaurant in First and Oak, which is no longer there. And uh and I've been in the bar business on and off since I was a teenager pretty really? much. Oh yeah, yeah, a long time. Wow. And so uh uh he picked my brain about drinks, we talked, and finally I told him I said, Hey, you know, I'm working a bunch of lunches and a and you know, a couple nights a week, I've got a lot of free time. If you ever need any help, use my number, call me. Yeah. Sure enough, uh, he called me a couple months later and said, Hey, I actually had let somebody go and, um, uh, love to have you come in. So I started working Thursday, Friday, and Saturdays. Downstairs. Uh, down, uh, well, at that time, Lisa and I, Lisa and I started within like a week of each other. Yeah. And, um, we would actually flip flop between up and downstairs because uh-huh. you never knew which bar was going to be busy. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the upstairs, the music thing was very hit and miss at, the, at that, at that point. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, were those the Tony Starlight days? This was slightly before Tony started playing with us. At that time, he was still yeah. doing 1201 yeah. on a real regular basis. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the first band that I worked with on Thursday nights was Ramsey Embix, Ramsey Embix trio, <laughs> Val Criado and Reinhardt Mel's awesome trio. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, they were, they're wow. fantastic. Uh-huh. And, uh, they, uh, uh, but again, it was very hit and miss. Sometimes it'd be really busy. Sometimes Reinhardt must have been 12. He's pretty young. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, and, you know, you'd have some nights you'd come in and we'd have a full house and other nights there'd be five people in the room. Yeah. And so, uh, it was real hit and miss. So we'd go up, up and, uh, up, up and downstairs. Sometimes we're downstairs, sometimes we're upstairs. And over the period of the first probably six, nine months that we were there, uh, things started kind of developing. You know, Mel came in and started playing with us. And then Thursdays really started taking off, and that kind of started to gel, and at least started to develop kind of a regular clientele downstairs. Uh-huh. They came to see her. Yeah. I was sort of kind of becoming identified with more with the music upstairs, and it just yeah. made good financial sense for us because we all, from, since day one, we always put our money in the same pot uh-huh. and split it. Uh-huh. And so that way there was no advantage to working one bar or the other, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, but we figured fairly quickly that uh, it was in best, our, both of our best interests to stick to those two spots. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and that would end up working out pretty well. So, uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, you know, ever since then, of course, now uh, uh, we're working side by side on the weekends and stuff. So, which is great. Now, were you into jazz from the beginning? You know, it's funny. Uh, the really great story is yeah. how this, how my my uh, my road into into jazz. Because uh-huh. uh, I actually, when I was back in Hawaii in '93, '94, I was working for Bank of Hawaii there in operations at uh, Alamoana, and uh, there was one other guy working in operations with me, a guy named Jeff Davis, uh-huh. who actually lives here in Portland now with his wife, Jen, who they both, we all three of us worked together in operations at this place, and they. 
end up uh, starting to date and they got married and have kids now they're great and they end up moving up here. Yeah. And uh, Jeff came into work one day with his Walkman on and he says, listen to this because he knew I was into music. And I was into like funk and soul music and stuff. And I kind of knew, but I didn't really know. Uh, I was just a casual listener, not the involved listener I am now. Uh-huh. And uh, he put this, put the, the uh, earphones on me, and it was Maceo Parker, Life on Planet Root. Oh yeah, Kim with Denard, just you know, laying it down. I mean, it was, I, I stopped me in my tracks. <laughs> and from that moment on, uh, I started seeking out everything I could find from Maceo. Because, like I said, I kind of knew about James Brown, but I didn't really know about the JBs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so then I started seeking out everything from Maceo and from Fred Wesley and Pee Wee Ellis and so yeah. on and so forth. Yeah. And when I ended up moving back up here, um, uh, I went into what used to be Burnt, uh, uh, Birdland Records, uh-huh. which used to be over here next to the Multnomah County Library. Uh-huh. And the guy who owned the place back in those days, his name was Don. I can't remember his last name. Ironically, turns out, I found out learned years later that he was married to Lisa's aunt. <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny? Small world. So It's a small town. It is a small town. And yeah. uh, I went in to see Don, and I said, hey, I'm looking for stuff from these guys so on and so forth. And he, of course, has got the catalog. So, oh, I'm just you know, you find it, I'll order for you. And didn't charge me anything extra for it. He just wow. get these things yeah. for me. It was great. So, uh, and then he ended up retiring, sold the business to a young cat named Britton Brown. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, and I would go in to see Britton and he had a deal where you'd have, um, uh, every five new CDs you bought, you got a free one. Yeah. Or excuse me, every five new CDs, you got a free one. Every 10 new CDs you bought, you got a free one. Yeah. Something like that. I can't remember. Anyway, uh, and he knew that I was working with Jimmy Max, and I and I was digging on, and I was looking for this soul music stuff, and um, and then uh, he and he kind of knew what was happening. And he said, "Well, hey, you should check this out. Check this out." And so I remember coming in, and uh, and he said, "You should check this out." And he gave me uh, Lou Donaldson, Alligator Boogaloo. Uh, there you go. And I was like, Ooh. "That's a great way in." Oh yeah, that I mean, a great way in. hello, I mean George yeah. Benson, yeah. you know yeah. Lonnie Smith, uh-huh. uh, uh, you know Idris Muhammad, Le- uh, ne- uh, Leo Morris. That, that's almost like my way in was um, uh, Miles Davis going electric. There you go. Because I was a rock guy, uh, you know, way back in the you know in the in the in the, in the late seventies. I mean, in the late sixties. Yeah. And I saw Miles at the Fillmore East. You know, with that, with Tony Williams and all those cats. Yeah. And he and, and he went electric, and you know, it kind of was like rock a little bit. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's like, a, well, what's this guy all about? I was I was in. And then yeah, second, like, then you start, and that, that's what happened to me. Yeah. So you know, I'm like listening to you know this organ based kind of soul jazz stuff, and again, what was Mel's doing Thursday nights, and it was like, all right, this is great. And that sort of led me back a little bit because then. Mel brought his, uh, at that time it was the Sextet, now the Septet on Tuesday nights, yeah. and started playing with us. That was about a year after I started working there. And, uh, and uh, in fact, actually, what, what had happened is that the business was getting so good that Jimmy came to me and said, listen, I want you to come to work with me full time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, I'm, you know, we're going to Mel another night, so I can give you four nights a week, and, you know, I'll have benefits for you, you know, health insurance, and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And I was like, wow. And it was actually turned out to be, it was a really good thing. And so I obviously jumped on board with that. And so then I started listening to the, the, to the sextet. Yeah. And so now I'm hearing, you know. You Art know, Blakey. Art Blakey. I'm yes. hearing Freddie Hubbard and Lee Morgan and <laughs> Wayne Shorter, Cedar Walton and Bobby Timmons. Yeah. And so then I'm going back into Britain. I'm like, hey, blah, blah, blah. I need you to check this stuff out. Yeah. Oh, well, here you go. So every time I'd walk in the door, yeah. uh, you know, I'd walk with a couple hundred dollars in cash in my pocket. And Britain's like, great. Pay the rent. And <laughs> I walk out of there with 15 CDs in my bag. And uh, and so I mean not just in those days I was just eating off big chunks of this music you know yeah yeah that yeah. was great and uh, and so as a result you know uh, I got more and more into jazz and uh, and uh, as we started meeting more 
uh, touring musicians, especially since we moved into the new spot, uh, it's just, you know, the appetite gets more and more voracious. So it's cool. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, the old the old place was, was interesting. It was, very, it was a very, very interesting place. It was, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was eclectic. Uh, yeah. It was um, uh, very intimate. I mean, it was a small room, and uh, and so it was fun. You know, you were right there with the musicians, which is cool. Yeah. You know, and uh, beyond the 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 local stuff that we were doing, we had some touring acts. I mean, Terrence Blanchard played in that room. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. and uh, uh, Dave Liebman played there. That's still yeah. still one of the most amazing shows I've ever seen. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, I mean, we had all sorts of great stuff come through. I mean, we put some big bands in that tiny little room. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, uh, there was issues with that building as well. You know, the electrical system in that building was terrible. Yeah. The plumbing was terrible. Yeah. It's just it was old. The building <laughs> was built, I think, in the 50s, if I'm not mistaken. And so, I mean, I remember one weekend uh, uh, Jimmy was out of town. And uh, uh, Jaybird Coder was playing uh, on Thursdays at that point with Mel, and he came to me after the gig. He said, uh, "Hey man, there's a, one of the outlets up there is fried." I'm like, "All right." <laughs> so I went and looked at it. Of course, and you could see it was totally burned. And uh, I'm like, "Well, shoot." Well, my dad happened to be in town. My mom and dad were here visiting, and I'd never changed that. This is before I owned my house. I never changed an outlet before. I had no idea. <laughs> so I said, to "My dad, hey, we come down and kind of supervise the sure, you know, father son thing, whatever." So we get down there and find the find the circuit breaker, kill the circuit. And uh, he uh, take the thing off, and he starts pulling these wires out. He goes, you're missing a wire. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're supposed to have a positive, a negative, and then a ground. Yeah. <laughs> he said, there's no ground. I'm like, oh, what, the, what, what is that? And he said, well, you know, you can do without it, but that's really – that's old, and yeah. it's really dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fire, you know, anyway. So uh, – um, uh, so needless to say, we got, it, we got it working and stuff, but I was like, wow. And, uh, you know, we had one night down there – speaking of Tony Starlight uh, – we had one night where uh, all of a sudden power goes out. We get back there, and the main uh, fuse box upstairs was – the whole thing was fused. It melted. <laughs> I was shooting a TV story there one time. I was shooting Liv Warfield. Oh, yeah, when she was playing with Joey Porter. And, and she would sit on stage on a, in a, on a bar stool in a running outfit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you look at her now. I mean, she was still just as great back then. Oh, she was amazing. Yeah, she's still. I mean, one of the one of the most impressive instruments I've ever heard of anybody singing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it was crazy. So I'm in the shooting in the middle of a tune, and all the power went out. Yeah, and it was throughout the entire neighborhood. Yeah, a raccoon uh, got into the power station and chewed through a wire and got or a cable got fried in the process. Got fried in the process. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it was. Uh, it was anyway. So so the so this uh, so the box melted. So we called Johnny Van Overen, yeah, who was Tony uh, Tony Starlight's drummer back in those days, who yeah. was a journeyman electrician, <laughs> and uh, he came down and took one look and said, "Dude, I can't even touch this for like less than twenty thousand dollars." Wow. Oh yeah, they had the whole thing had to be ripped out. And, oh jeez. And so uh, you know the whole the building was it had a, it was it, it, it was quirky and it was very cool, but I missed lots of elements of that. The other thing yeah. too is from a from work standpoint in those days. Those were really, uh, you know, we were both really bartending. I mean, the the, yeah. the business was very much about the bar, not so much about uh, about food service. It's really about drink service and yeah. food was sort of a secondary thing. Now, you know, in the last ten years of being uh, uh, across the street in the new spot, yeah. it is very everything really is focused on dinner service now. Yeah, and uh, and so it's you know we we switched from being a bar to really being a restaurant. And uh, and it's cool. It's just different. That's all. So yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. Oh man, live. That's so funny. And pe- people don't get to talk to you as much, do they? Um, to some degree, yeah. Because again, it, it's uh, 
the focus is really in the dining room and yeah. not at the bar. Yeah. And uh, and so, uh, but I still, you know, still got regulars who come. They and still hang come out, so. over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the difference, you. the difference too. <laughs> the difference too is that you know, in those days, we were open for lunch, and so uh, being open for lunch, you had a lunch. That that was great. One of the great things about the old club is that you had you had really four distinct businesses running there in one spot. Uh-huh. You had the lunch business, which, uh, especially in the early days, we were one of the only places in the neighborhood you could get lunch. Yeah. And so we had... It wasn't the Pearl then, was it? it well, it's been, it's been the Pearl since the 70s, but it wasn't the Pearl like we think of it right. now. Yeah. And uh, But we had all that light industry in the neighborhood. So you had the brewery, yeah. you had Hannah Anderson, yeah. uh, 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 Dean Knitting, all those guys were still doing a lot of business down there. Uh, Hannah's still there, but uh, but we got all those guys for lunch or to-go business, so yeah. lunch was huge. Lunch, actually, for the first year that we were in business, lunch was really what kept things going. That was the most <laughs> consistent thing we had. Uh, then you had uh, uh, then you had happy hour, and our happy hour was, was huge in those days. Yeah, it was dynamite. We were yeah. selling you know uh, tons and tons of food at you know three dollars or two dollars a pop. Yeah, yeah. You know, for fr- fried food frenzy, as we used to say. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, then you had the, the music went upstairs. Then you had the bass bar as well. So all four of those things kind of working in in, uh, in congruence. It was really, really something. So when we moved and we stopped doing lunch, because at that point, uh, it just didn't pencil out anymore to be open for lunch anymore. Yeah. That killed the happy hour business as well, because you got to be open for, ha- for lunch to make happy hour really sing. Yeah. So th- that really changed things, because, you know, when we were, had lunch and happy hour, we had a lot of regulars that we saw. In the neighborhood, that would come down. Uh-huh. The guys from Smith Brothers Furnishings and stuff, and uh, they'd hang out at lunch. And then we'd see them happy hours. So there's a lot of uh, contact with customers outside of music before the music even got started. Yeah. Because uh, in those days we didn't start music until nine or nine thirty at night. Yeah. And we went to one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You know, and uh, uh, and uh, ever since nine eleven, uh, all that changed. After nine eleven, everything changed, and, and people don't. It's funny. You just don't see, and you think that after all these years, they would kind of that the ethos would come back. But it hasn't. People don't stay out late anymore, huh. you know. And uh, I mean, young people, I guess, to some degree, do. Yeah. Uh, but we don't see the prevalence of people coming out to hear music late at night. Huh. So we don't go past midnight on the weekends. We were done at eleven o'clock on the weeknights, and really, uh, you know, I, I get some people coming. Oh man, how come doesn't later? I'm like, hey, I would love for it to go later, but there just isn't enough people to make that warrant that business decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's unfortunate, but it's the truth. Huh. Yeah. So uh, you you. Um, have had to develop a relationship with the musicians too, haven't you? Oh yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Because Jimmy's not really there very much at night. No, he's not really there at night. He's really yeah. uh, his his thing is really. Um, it's funny as, as he would tell you, he looks at Lisa and I as we have to think kind of in the within the day. Yeah, you know, day to day operations. He has to be thinking like six months out. Yeah. Where he's kind of, he's kind of the strategic planner. So he's doing the booking. Yeah. Uh, so his contact is with it, with, uh, with everybody predominantly via email. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, but really we're, we're sort of the point people for him. Uh, uh he's there occasionally at nighttime. If somebody's in town that he wants to see or, uh, something like that. But, uh, but you know, he's busy. He's got other things going on as well too. And, um, and so, yeah, it, it's, we're really kind of the face, as you said earlier, we're kind of the yeah. face of the place. Yeah. So. When, 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 when you first started getting really major people in there, did you ever get like kind of starstruck sometimes? Um, not really. Uh, it's happened a couple of times, but for the most part, I mean, when I was growing up in Hawaii, my mom was development director for the the symphony. Ah. And so, her, her main part of her job was bringing in uh, guest artists to come and perform with the symphony to kind of help them with ticket yeah. sales and so on and so forth. Yeah. So, I mean, when I was a kid, I was meeting Arthur Fiedler and Luciano Pavarotti uh-huh. and people like this. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I never really 
I don't know, it just didn't really dawn on me to be like, oh my God, this person's bigger than life. They're just another person. And they're like, wow, they're really talented. But that's Even Les McCann? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tell you, the first time that I actually really got starstruck was not Les. Yeah. Um, uh, although the first time I met him, he actually wasn't playing there. Uh, he was playing at the Old Blue Monk, uh-huh. uh, and uh, and uh, I went over there and got a chance to meet him, and he was he was less, and uh, and uh, that was pretty cool. But the guy who really got me yeah. uh, was Fred Wesley. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, oh I guess because so. I, of course, yeah, as I said right. earlier, you know, I, I, I'm I'm a huge Fred Wesley fan. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, uh, Kenny Paulson, who uh, was uh, doing the music program at Cleveland High School in those days, uh, knows Fred, and he had brought Fred in to do some clinic work. And line them up to do some stuff with Thera and Thera's kids. Well, Thera's super band was playing at the club, so we worked it out for him to come and play with the super band. And uh, so I actually got to uh, – this was right in the, in the days when I first started introducing bands on stage. Yeah. So I got to get up there and introduce Fred Wesley. Oh, boy. Stage. That was – I almost lost my thing right there. <laughs> and uh, Jimmy was actually working with me that night behind the yeah. bar. And uh, and I, I came back – and this was the days before you know people fist bump. But yeah. we kind of did a fist bump like, wow. Yeah, mark that one off the bucket list because he's a huge fan as well. <laughs> so uh, uh, it was that, that was pretty cool. But uh, um, uh, the other one would be uh, would be uh, Jimmy Cobb. Ah. The first time that that Javon Jackson brought Jimmy Cobb out to play, because uh-huh. I mean Cobb is like that's I mean he's yeah. that's kind of blue. I mean that yeah. that connection cannot be broken. And the thing is, actually for me, is even less about uh, the Miles connection as it was. The trio, uh-huh. which was uh, that was Wynn Kelly's trio, which was they just were known in the industry as the trio. Yeah, because it was him, Paul Chambers, and and Cobb. Yeah, and those guys, I mean, they backed up everybody. That's that's you know West Montgomery smoking at the half note. Yep. You know that's uh, that's back and they backed Miles as well. They backed yep. John Coltrane. Yes. And it's like I mean, there's just some absolutely like seminal recordings. That's yeah. those guys. And uh, and I, in fact, I joked with with uh, with Jimmy. I said that. Uh, uh, you know, that night smoking on the half note, if Wes hadn't shown up and it was just that trio playing, it would have still been smoking at the half note because <laughs> the they were just so swinging. It's crazy. Yeah. And uh, to uh, sort of see him in person, to hear uh, and his right hand just working on that ride symbol, man, just, uh-huh. uh, I mean, it just uh-huh. blew my ass. It was uh-huh. amazing. Wow. Yeah. And so that, that was, uh, yeah, that, that, was, that one got me too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Must be great to, to uh, having been there so long now, seeing uh, the younger players develop. Oh, yeah. Oh, it, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you, well, it's funny because I was just talking to somebody the other night about uh, – Because they're not young anymore. No, they're not young anymore. <laughs> well, now I'm seeing you know, another generation of players coming yes. up. Yes. And uh, you know, uh, I was commenting about there as kids going back and uh, winning, winning yeah. the Incessant Ellington Festival yeah. uh, competition, that is. And uh, I was just like, man, I've been watching these kids play since they were – you know, in seventh and eighth grade, and now yeah. here they are, they're going off to college, and it's like, right. and, you know, then you look at, you know, uh, well, John Nassos is probably one of the very best examples. Right. Because, you know, I John started coming in and sitting in with Mel when he was probably a freshman or sophomore in high school. Wow. And, uh, and, uh, and, you know, I watched him all the way through high school, and then he goes off to school, Manhattan School of Music, uh-huh. and uh, gets his degree, and he's coming back home and playing, and then now he's, you know, now he's playing the band on a regular basis, and he's, he's, Great example of a good, you know, solid working musician. Yep. And he's playing his butt off. And then now you watch him, you know, now Renato, you know, being on the road with Merle Haggard, we only yeah. see Renato, you know. Renato's on the road with Merle Haggard? You didn't know this? Are you serious? Oh, yeah. I did not know that. He was at the club. Merle Haggard? He was Merle Haggard, yeah. <laughs> you hadn't heard this story? <laughs> I had not heard that. Well, okay, so so I'll get to that in a second. So, you know, so Renato's out on the road now. Yeah. So uh, yeah. he's home this week, which I'm going to go out of the club tonight and check yeah. him out. But uh, he, uh, with him being gone a little bit, you kind of appreciate it a little more when he's home. But, you know, uh, 
uh, Mel will kind of get him and uh, John and Ronaldo kind of you know get into trading nates, trading fours and stuff. Yeah. And of course, you know, years ago, John would get his butt kicked. That's what. That's how it works. Yes. Now John is pushing Ronaldo a little bit, <laughs> which is kind of cool, you know. And that's just not kind of it's very cool. Yeah. But yeah, Ronaldo got the gig. I guess uh, Merle heard him on uh, was on tour someplace and heard him, uh-huh. and then uh, looked him up. I think he saw some video of him on YouTube, probably from Jimmy Max. Yeah. And yeah. somehow yeah. managed to get a hold of him and said, "Hey, I really like what you're doing. I'd like to come down to <laughs> my ranch in Redding, California, and do some recording with me." So Ronaldo drives down to Redding, California. Does some recording, and Merle said, "Hey man, I want you to come out the road with me. Come come play saxophone." Yeah. He said, "You don't even don't worry about learning my music. Just come and do what you do." Which is funny when you really break it down. What Merle's doing, especially as an old school country musician, yeah. it's that's blues. Sure, it's just blues. Sure, and so and I mean you could search far and wide and not find a better guy to play the blues <laughs> and saxophone than we're not over. That's for sure. So uh, yeah, he's been out there doing it. And now he just they made the record with him and uh, with uh, Merle and Willie Nelson. And it's now so now all the that the great that's thing about amazing. this. The That's best right. thing is that uh, I mean I love seeing Ronaldo uh, have success and he's making some money from it, which is great. But the main thing is that now all these people around the world are going to have a chance to hear him, yeah. uh, who would otherwise have never know who he was. Yeah, and that's just awesome, you know. He's got a great gift. I want everybody yeah. to know yeah. about it. So Esperanza told me one time that he is the best guy to be on the road with. He's just a great road guy. He's, well, he's so level-headed. Yeah. Well, Ronaldo's Filipino, and one of the things, I grew up in Hawaii, and uh, a couple of my very longest, uh, dearest, closest friends are both Filipino. And the one thing i tell you about that is that uh, calm, collected, yeah. uh, not really excitable, and just, you know, and just everything is cool, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. that's something, when you're on the road with people and you've got to live with them and be on a bus with them, you don't want – you really don't want to have a humongous dynamic personality because that can yeah. really rub you the wrong way yeah. after a couple of weeks being out there. Oh my God, I have to snitch this guy again. What the hell am I doing out here? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, no, I, I could totally see, I would love to be on the rover with Ronaldo. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you got to talk about Thera. Cause you, I can't, I can't, I can't talk. It's like when I, when I interviewed Alan Tucson. Yeah. I said, I have to ask you about, uh, uh, Professor Long here. Oh, of and he said. He said. Well, you should. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, you you've known Sarah for all these years. A long time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, before before he started teaching and all that, right? Before he got into well, all he's that. Well, there's been teaching. Uh, uh, but in, I mean, but uh, yeah, yeah, but with, yeah. Uh, what he's doing currently with the with the yeah, Pacific Crest yeah, uh, program yeah, yeah. is a little bit different. But his American Music program has been going on since uh, as long as he's been at Jimmy Max. Yeah. That uh, we made uh, the first, the Mac Groove record, which was uh, yeah. a bunch of live recordings from a bunch of the bands that played in, in the late 90s at the club. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the proceeds from that went to AMP. And, uh, yeah. and uh, it, but yeah, it's, it's obviously it's a lot, in a lot more prominence now. But yeah, Thera is really something, man. I mean, you know, when, when Mel put together his quintet at the club, uh, uh, at that point in time, uh, uh, Thera was kind of coming out of some pretty dark times in his life. And yeah. so, and, uh, without going into details, it's just, you know, he kind of, he kind of burned some bridges and stuff. And so Mel called him and, you know, at that time he'd already been working with Lewis and, and, uh, and Dan Fanley quite Payne. a bit. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and Dan Fanley and they'd, and they'd kind of, uh, they'd had a couple of like, um, a couple spots playing a couple of different places with that sort of that lineup. Yeah. And uh, and then this thing came together. Like, great, right, we're gonna do this. And uh, you know, Mel was playing Thursdays at uh, at the Candlelight Room with Norman Sylvester. Yeah. And Renato was in that band. Huh. So Mel went up to Ronald and said, "Come with me." 
And Norman, we always <laughs> laugh about it now because Norman's like, yeah, you stole my saxophone player. And, uh, um, but then he called there and he said, you know, hey, T, man, I got this opportunity. Come and play. And, uh, and it was really funny because when those guys came together, there's no rehearsal, nothing. They literally just got on stage, you know, this tune, yeah. And, and they literally like hum a few bars, literally. Yeah. And oh, yeah. yeah. And they just start playing. Yeah. And, it, and, and there's his personality uh, as a musician, especially in those days because he was really playing so much uh it was just it was great man he would say, you could still you go back and listen to the uh the the uh, live jimmy max record from 99 yes and uh you could hear you know family be playing a solo and thero lean over to renato and start start you know yelling a, a line in his ear like play this and then renato would play back to him and then they would play this line together and it was and you know it would just fall right into the band. oh man it was it was some of the baddest stuff ever yeah. you know a lot of people who who just sort of started hearing about their memory in the, in the say the past ten years? They don't realize what a player he was. You, if you if you ever want to understand how amazing he was, go back on YouTube. Yeah. Look up Mel Brown Quintet at Blue Lake Park. Uh huh. Carlton Jackson, God bless him. I yeah. uh, posted these videos. There's two two segments of it on YouTube, and that was the. Actually, the origins of the, what is now the Septet, the play yes. on Tuesdays, uh, with Michael York, Michael uh, York, yeah. God rest his soul, yep. uh, and then Tim Gilson, who's back actually playing with the band now, uh-huh. Mel Gordon, and uh, and uh, Thera, and man, Thera is playing, and they're playing a lot of the music they're playing today, uh, but yeah. he is on the mic, and when you hear him playing that, this is 1990, I think, yeah, or 89. Uh, so it's right around the time that they went and they won the Hennessy Jazz Search and kicked everybody's butts at the Playboy Festival and stuff. Right. When you hear him playing, then I would. In, I'm certainly not uh, an expert, but I've got some qualifications, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I I would argue that at that point, I don't think anybody in the world was playing better jazz trumpet than he was. Yeah. I mean, his his faculty on the instrument and his the creative mindset that he had was just amazing. Right. I mean, it's really something, man. And so, uh, uh, but uh, you know. Every day that I see Thera, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm like, thank you. Because, I mean, yeah. you know, he came out of this spot, this real bad place in his life. And when uh, when he was playing with Mel in those days, he'd leave. And Jimmy and I would watch him leave. And we were like, we didn't know if we'd ever see him again. Yeah. I mean, it was really bad. Yeah. yeah. And um, and so when he started going through uh, these issues with uh, with his kidneys and and, uh, and diabetes and all this you know, yeah. kidney failure and everything, I was like, oh, man. But, you know, the man upstairs has a plan for him. And uh, he's like, I'm not done with you yet. You know, you, yeah. it's, it's almost, it's almost in some ways like, like, uh, he's still around cause he's like paying a penance and his penance is to teach these kids, yes. which is kind of a cool penance when you think about it. Yeah. And the yeah. result is that these kids are getting amazing education. Some, and you know, and it's, uh, and it's, it's tough love in some ways cause he's really hard on them, yeah. but it's cause he had, you know, if, if you are in his band, it's cause he has the highest expectation of you. And so if he doesn't think that you are, Living up that expectation, he's going to hit you over the head with it. Yeah, and uh, and the result has been he's produced some amazing musicians. I mean, that's Bronza, Haley, yeah. Nastos, all these guys. And then the yeah. young kids coming up now, it's like, right. oh my god, man, yeah. And the thing about Thera now is that he can say anything. <laughs> he can give anybody shit. That's <laughs> and it's okay. That is a true statement. It really is. I mean, it's, I remember oh yeah, a couple of years ago when 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 they named him uh, when the the jazz festival named him, you know, whatever their their award is, and he just got up there and started giving everybody shit. Oh yeah, it was amazing. Oh yeah, he's uh, you know well, and uh, again, so here we go. So after all the things he's been through, and um, and the uh, and the nine lives that he's been, uh, you know, 
uh, that he's been given his work. Yeah. I think he's gone to war and was like, you know what? I, 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 I'm done. I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm thinking. There's no right. filter. Right. And, uh, and I, I love that from him. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it, yeah, yeah, because yeah. It, when you, when you break it down, when he really goes on a rant, you know, he's, he's, he really took the talks about music education. He's exactly on the right foot. He's like, man, if, you know, if all these kids were getting music education, everything would be better because right. it makes them better students as a whole. And then that, then that contributes to just better human beings going forward in life. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so, you know, every time he goes on, gets on a rant, it's like, oh boy, here we go. But he's making a point and he's right. Yeah. Every time he's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so, uh, it's so funny when, when, uh, when Esperanza won the uh, that first Grammy, and there, yes. there, there was a picture. You could see the microphone, and he's like looking like I'm gonna get on the mic. It's like, oh no, we're gonna be here for an hour on the Grammys. And uh, but he would have gotten on a rant, and and he would have gone up everybody's ass about music yes. education. And I, hey True. man, that's all good with me. So, <laughs> and uh, no, it's it's great. Um, I. Uh, I, I absolutely love him to death. And my favorite thing in the world is when Thera comes down and he's playing at the club and, or if he's hanging out, checking somebody out, uh, which doesn't happen nearly enough. But when he's, when he's down there, I'll put something on the, on the stereo and just to get him fired up, you know, and I'll put some Earth, Wind and Fire on or, or, uh, or something like that or whatever uh -huh. and just get, get him all amped up. And, uh, which I just, I just love the funniest thing ever. Uh, I'll tell you a really funny story about there. Um, uh, this is going back, uh, maybe two years ago. And he had a show lined up and, um, somebody had to bail out. I can't remember. And so, um, uh, Farnell said, Farnell Newton says, call Jared Lawson, get Jared down there. Come sing. Yeah. They had never heard Jared sing. Oh, so, so Jared comes down and of course, and, uh, and Asha is there and Asha knows Jared really well. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so Jared's there and the band's playing and Asha's like, dad, you know, we got to get him up here and sing. And, uh, so, there, uh, uh, you know, when, so first of all, they're sitting in the back, in the back bar, just kind of hanging out. And Jared comes back to introduce himself. Oh, there I'm, Jared, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you see Jared and you don't yes. know who he is. Here's no. this skinny white kid. Right. And he, and he's like, Oh, hi, uh, I'm Jared. You know what right, I mean? Right. And, you uh, never expect that. And Jared's looking like, Who is yeah. this little cracker going to come and run on my stage? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so then they start playing and, and finally there's like, All right. So he gets him up there doing Can I Love? Yeah, and of course, you know, Jared opens his mouth and sings three notes, and Thera gets this look at his face, like, "Oh yeah, okay, <laughs> everything's okay now." And then, and Asha's standing right next to him, and, and Thera starts doing sing, starts starts hitting Asha on the side, like, "Yeah, why don't you tell me about it before?" <laughs> and uh, you know, it's just so it's, that, that was it was classic Thera. So, yeah. and you uh, know, uh, oh, I knew all about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so it, it, was, great. it was great. Yeah, I, I absolutely, I, I adore that man yeah. uh, wholeheartedly. I've had such, such great musical experiences with him. Yeah, yeah, he's really something. And then the Yang to Thera's Ying is Mel Brown. Oh yeah, who is the highest profile, lowest profile <laughs> guy on earth? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, he leads. Three bands. Oh, he leads more than that. I mean, he's got well, three I bands mean, with us. I, yeah, with you. Yeah. But then he's, he's got, got you know, the one. Yeah. Then he's got the Salties and the Prime as well. Yeah, so, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Uh, hardest working man at Joe I mean, And that's the lowest bad. king. And totally low key. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I think Mel would tell you uh, that um, his uh, whether consciously or unconsciously, I think he lets his plan just kind of speak for itself. Yeah. And uh, in fact, we were just talking about this the other night. It's like you know. Uh, uh, some people are all are like, "Oh man, you need to, you know, have this website or have this and blah blah blah." And he goes, "I don't really need to do that. I just I do what I do. <laughs> people can find me." Actually, the funny thing is, it goes back to the to, to the original quintet, not yeah. the original, but 
we went down to our place with yeah. Theron and Renato and Lewis and Dan Family. Yeah. When they first started playing with us, the first couple of weeks, there was nobody in that joint. Uh-huh. I mean, there was like three people. And Thera, I remember, I'll never forget this, Thera says, this is the smallest crowd I've ever played to in my entire career. <laughs> and uh, and we were kind of looking at each other like, okay, we weren't really sure if this was going to work or not. And because uh, in those days, nobody charged cover charges. Yeah. So now we're doing a little like a $3 cover. It's like, all right, let's see yeah. how this works. Yeah. And, uh, and Mel was supremely confident. He goes, don't worry. The word's going to get out. People will show up. And sure enough, Within a couple of weeks, all of a sudden, we started getting an audience of uh, older African American folks who come in who knew Mel from the day. Yeah, and, yeah. and they're coming in, and uh, and uh, it was uh, Sweet Baby James Benton uh. and uh, and uh, Ralph Carter and all these guys would come in, yeah. uh, and uh, uh, Larry Cleve Williams and uh, Cleve Williams and yeah. Larry and Londa Green. I can name off all these regulars. They yeah. would come in, and they would all sit right up in the front, and they were dressed. Everybody was dressed. Of course. And they got into it. And they got right. into this music. They were hooting and hollering and just having a blast. And and it started filling up. And more people started showing up. More people started <laughs> showing up. And within like maybe a month, all of a sudden, we went from having nobody to being packed. Huh. And there was a line down the street. Wow. And part of it was, was uh, uh, you know, the sound was just that sound was just infectious. Yeah. But what was happening too was that, uh, and I, I, I don't know this is a fact, but this is one of my, my theories that. We had a lot of these young white kids were coming in, and they were going downstairs to the basement to go play pool and smoke and yeah. do whatever, blah, blah, blah. And they'd come in, and they'd see this audience of older black people yeah. dressed right. and getting into it and just having this great time. And they're like, whoa, what's – and it's, you know, it's, this is how it's been happening for years where white culture steals black culture, right? Yes. Well, here we go. Yeah. That's exactly what was going on. They went, right. well, this must be hip. So right. I stopped and started listening. Because it was. Got, yeah, because yeah. it was. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It was extra hip. Yeah. And so, and, and crowds began crowds, and it just blew up. And yeah. there was no promotion. There was no advertisement. There was mm-hmm. nothing. You know, uh, and uh, it was just, it was just word of mouth, and it just blew up. And so, uh, and that's Mel. That's the power of Mel Brown. You know, as he's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, he is, uh, he's amazing. I got, we were always referred to him now as the godfather of jazz. <laughs> And uh, uh, Bobby Torres, oh, Godfather, every time he sees him. And um, and the thing is, he's not flashy. No, no, it's it's I mean, his playing is not flashy. It's it's not you know. It's, it's like, just about locking down a groove. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's yeah. you know it's funny because well, he's got here's the thing. You watch him play. Uh, there's there is flash going on there, but it's very subdued. Right. Especially playing the brushes, because he's got yes. that. He's got that. Oh, the, yeah. the Philly yeah. Joe Jones yeah. slash Papa Joe Jones thing, right. Right. where there's there's all this really fancy brushwork, but you got to be watching really carefully. Correct. It's right. not you know right. twirling right. sticks and throwing stuff around and, and That's making. What I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's all to do, but there's all this stuff happening, yeah. and you just have to pay attention to him. And the thing is, he always has a smile. We were talking about this the other night. That's he always the, yeah. has a smile. Right. That it's like it, there's nothing in all my years of doing this. There's nothing more satisfying. Then looking up from the bar when I'm being busy and I'm like, oh my god! And I look up and I see that big smile on Mel's face and yeah. I'm like, you know what? Everything's just fine. Everything's great. Right. Yeah. Well, you know that was Fats Domino's thing. Yeah. You know, yes, he was a great player. He made he made tremendous music, but he always had a smile. Yeah. And put a smile on your face. Yeah. Because you know what? You're getting paid to play music. Like, yes. Good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, no, his uh, Mel Mel is uh, he's my big brother uh, and. Uh, my musical mentors, I like to say, uh, and uh, it's funny because he he's always uh, saying, "Oh man, you always bring all this music to us." Well, I'm like, "Man, I, this music—it actually brought it to me first, uh-huh. and now I'm bringing it back around to you." So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I've had I've had some amazing experiences uh, that are directly connected to my relationship with Mel. Yeah, 
you know, hanging out with uh, with George Benson uh, a number of years ago at the Brit Festival uh-huh. for two days, man. I mean, not I didn't just meet George and be like, "Oh, thanks for the music," because I'm a huge fan. But I mean, we ended up hanging out with him, shooting pool with him, and yeah. you know, drinking yeah. way yeah. too much. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, I mean, that's and that's a that's a direct result of of, of my friendship and relationship with Mel. Yeah. Yeah, it's been uh, and, and the thing is too. Here's really what it comes down to. You know, we're talking about uh, getting uh, uh, the touring acts, national acts coming in. Yeah, all that goes back to Mel, because when Mel first started playing, you know, before Mel started playing with us, yeah, uh, like I said earlier, uh, the shows are very hit and miss. Sometimes we packed, sometimes there'd be nobody there. When Mel started playing with us, from a local perspective, that put a stamp of legitimacy on us. Where the local audience, like I said, this, this older African American audience yeah. who knew Mel from the day, were like, "All right, right. If Mel's playing there. This has got to be kind of cool." Yeah. So they started coming down, and that that kind of gave us a little momentum. And then, you know, Mel brings his, uh, brings his septet in, and eventually brings his quartet on Wednesdays. It's like, all right, there's like this backbone uh, that that's that's just rock solid. Well, of course, his reputation is out there. Yeah. And what really started it was uh, with the touring acts was Joey Di Francesco. And uh, ironically, wow. I missed the show. I was actually in Reno playing in a pool tournament. Wow. Uh, and what had happened is that the guys at that time, uh, uh, Joey was sponsored by, um, I think it's Rogers Piano Company. Yeah. Their division of Roland, and they had a, uh-huh. they were based out of uh, Hillsborough, I think. Uh-huh. And they made a um, uh, a uh, knockoff Hammond, like everybody was doing in those days. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they were bringing them in to do a demo, and they said, "Hey, we want to. We understand you have an organ uh, group down there at your place, and has a following. We want to bring them in." And now it's funny because they contacted Jimmy. So it's one Thursday night, right? And we're and it's super busy, and it's just kind of wrapping up. And and Lewis Payne is up there at the bar, and Jimmy he goes to Lewis and says, and I'm standing right there, and he says, "So well, I got this got this opportunity to bring this guy in named uh, Joey Di Francesco." And Lewis, without without missing a beat, says, "Oh, he's the best Hammond organ player in the world." <laughs> and I looked at Lewis. Now, mind you, all the guy, all the legendary guys are still alive at this point. I looked at Lewis. Yeah. And I said, "Dude, Jimmy Smith," and he goes, "He goes, Jimmy's master." And he said, "But right now." The best player on the planet is Joey DiFrancesco. I didn't know anything about Joey at that time. Oh, man. And I'm like, whoa, okay, all right. And so Jimmy said, well, let's do this thing. Well, like I said, I missed it. I was gone. Uh, and so I, it's funny because I get back from this tournament, and I meet uh, and I meet everybody at the Veritable Quandary. Just, we just finished our, our Christmas party uh-huh. first year. And uh, and uh, uh, they're all like, oh, my God. You Everybody looked at me like, you missed it. I'm like <laughs> – and because uh, you play with Mel and Dan Fanley, just yeah. a trio. Think about that trio. Oh, jeez. So, uh, <laughs> so the following year, I'm up at uh, up at Jazz Alley to go see Pat Martino, uh-huh. and Joey's playing with him, and wow. with Byron Lanham as his longtime drummer. Yeah. And so uh, uh, it's funny because I'm sitting at the bar, and Pat Martino sits down like two stools from me, and I'm like, oh, oh. And there, I'm starstruck. <laughs> there you go. And I call Dan Fanley. I'm like, damn, oh my God, that bass right next to me. He goes, be cool. Go introduce yourself. Tell him you're a friend of mine. He knows me. <laughs> and so I did. Pat was just the nicest, sweetest guy ever. And, and remembered me years later seeing him in New York. I was wow. like, wow, that's amazing. Huh. Uh, but then I went up and introduced myself to Joey. And we started talking. And he goes, oh, yeah, man, we had so much fun there. I heard that club close. And I'm like, what? <laughs> no, man, we're still, we're still there. So you got to come back and play. And uh, and so uh, he came back through uh, that year. And then uh, and then the, I think it was the following year, I actually got a hold of him. And I actually booked him. Uh, to come and play with Mel and Dan again. Yeah, he plays a couple times a year now, doesn't he? Yeah, it's yeah once, maybe twice a year, depending. We got him coming back in October right now, which yeah. is great. Yeah. With a new trio with Jason Brown playing drums. Really? Jason, yeah. He here for a minute. He's friends with Farnell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jason's playing drums, and then he's got a guitar player from Ohio named uh, Dan Wilson, uh-huh. uh, who I saw with him at Jazz Alley in, in December. He was great. That's going to be a lot of fun. I just I just yeah. try to know some. It's, that's turned out to be uh, – 
a wonderful friendship. Joey's turned into a really, really, really good friend. Yeah. And uh, and uh, but again, that that uh, that first contact, you know, with him coming in and playing with us, yeah. happened because of Mel. Yeah. And that kind of put the word out there. Well, hey, there's this there's this joint in Portland where you can go and play, and it's cool. You can make some money, and you know, in between being in San Francisco or in Seattle or whatever, yeah. instead of being you know on the road and not having a gig, you right. got a gig. Yeah. And so that led to. Dave Liebman, and then Terrence Blanchard, Karen Allison, yeah, uh, and uh, that's all playing at the old club. This tiny little joint, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and uh, and then and then Javon Jackson as well. And those uh -huh. all those relationships have kind of developed over the years from that initial contact with Mel. I mean, that's it. All comes back to him. So I mean, we and, and Jimmy and I talk about it all the time. It's like, man, uh, the the uh, the impact that he's had on us is immeasurable. Yeah, uh, I mean, the fact yeah. of the matter is that if, if Mel hadn't come and played there uh, and put us on the map, I probably wouldn't have stayed there. That was a that was a side gig for me. Wow. Uh, it was a mood landing thing. Me and McCormick and Schmix was was I mean, I was a bartender, bartender, and that was a bartender's bar. I mean, it was great, <laughs> and I was on a track there that was going to do something. And yeah. you know, if Mel hadn't come along, I probably wouldn't have been down the track, and wow. things would be completely different now. So, wow. I mean, I don't even know if Jimmy Max would be around. I mean, Jimmy might or might yeah. not have stuck with it. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Huh. So, uh, yeah. So, but but the club is not really a, a, a totally a jazz club anymore. No, weekends no. are a lot a lot of soul music. Oh, and soul, some rock music, rock, a little bit of blues, yeah, some R&B yeah. stuff. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's funny. Uh, in the ideal, I, I would love to have a, a place that it's just jazz, jazz, jazz. But the the fact of the matter is, uh, this town, as great as it is, can't support a, a full time jazz club. Right, just can't. Right. There's a there's a there's a um, there's a, a popular misconception that Portland is a really hip jazz community, and uh, we have some great jazz fans here, and uh, they come out and support a lot of shows, but to call it hip is really a misnomer because there's a <laughs> box of music yeah. that people – and I and I love this box of music, and I'm yeah. in that box too. Yeah. That's the music that I dig, yeah. but it is a box, and when you step outside of that box, you, you're taking some chances. I mean, yeah. I have a conversation with uh, with Don Lukoff sometime with the jazz festival, and look at the he and I talked about this the lessons that he learned watching what happened for the festival before he took it over, uh -huh. and some of the things that came in that just fell flat in their faces because people in this town just wouldn't support it. Yeah, and uh, and uh, and even then, just getting that 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 core audience to come out and support regular gigs is hard. I mean, you know, we've got I I would say arguably on a per capita basis, we have as many. Top quality, uh, high end, world class musicians living here as any city in the world. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And they, they make their they make their money elsewhere. Elsewhere, yeah. they or doing other things. Yeah. Uh, that's the travesty is that you can count on one hand the number of joints in this town that feature jazz on any kind of a regular basis. Oh yeah, yeah. that's yeah. messed up. And uh, and uh, uh, it's so it's, so here we go. Uh, you look at us. It's like man, you know. The size of that room and the, and everybody, all the staff and all the things that we have to pay for. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, we have to we have to open those doors up to other things. Sure. You know that's that pays the bills. You know. Sure. And uh, and on top of that too, all that other music is great. What's wrong with it? You know. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. It was your first love. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you know, in uh, in uh, you know, some people, I've had some get upset. Oh, it's not really you don't do new jazz anymore. I'm like, yeah, actually, yeah, whatever. Actually. <laughs> Four nights out, for the most part, four nights or five nights out of the week, not uh, four nights, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, yeah. is jazz. I know. So the, there's still a vast Believe me, I, I've, I've had my experience with yeah. the jazz police. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like yeah. I remember years ago, I was when I was doing Saturday nights on KMHD, somebody yeah. actually called me up one time and complained that I was playing Monk. 
It was too weird. Monk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Monk. I had, uh, well, it's funny. I had, I will not name names, um, but I had a, uh, uh, a former KMHD DJ. This is many years ago. Yeah. Uh, very prominent DJ, very, very, uh, highly respected. Uh, son is a musician and, uh, uh, he was in the club one night and I was playing George Benson body talk. Oh. Uh, you know, CTI. Oh and he boy. He came up the bar and told me, you need to turn this off. This is not jazz. <laughs> I looked at him and I said, this is George Benson. Now, George will tell you that he's not the greatest jazz player of all time. He'll tell you that West Montgomery is. Yeah. Yeah. And I love West Montgomery. George Benson is the best jazz player of all time. <laughs> I mean, let's, just, let's just put that on the record as saying that nobody's been better than he is. And and, and, and that stuff on, on that uh, body talk with him and Earl Poog is like, are you kidding me? That's some of the most ripping stuff ever. But, it's, it's, you know, again, there's this box, right? And if it goes outside of that box... Yeah. You know, if it's not swinging, yeah. oh no, it's not jazz. I that's know. just a that's bullshit. Stupid. You know, and yeah. uh, and uh, like I said, I love the stuff that's in the box. That's what I listen to the most part. But you gotta open your mind a little bit. And yeah. Let the other stuff in because you yeah. might find something you really did. Yeah. Maybe you have a theory about this because I've never been able to figure it out, nor has anybody ever I ever asked. I don't know why it is that there are so many great bass players in Portland. <laughs> that's a good okay. question. You got Glenn Moore. You got David Friesen. You got Ed Bennett. You got Dave Captain. You've got Damian Erskine. You got uh, Tim Gilson. Gilson. Yeah, I mean, Andre St. James. You got like uh, just, world famous bass there's players. All these great bass players. Yeah. I. It's, you know. Uh, well, I, we're talking about the the dearth of great musicians who live here. You can go every instrument, and you can go like five, six deep. Yeah. And, and those, those guys be first call guys anywhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Scott Steed. Scott Steed. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Uh. I don't know. I mean. I. I, I in in some ways, I'd like to go back and look at uh, Leroy Vinegar and say, okay, they all came here for Leroy. But some yeah. of them, well, those guys were here long before Leroy was. Right, yeah. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. Maybe it's just this town has a big has a big booty. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and it just attracts, naturally attracts bass players. Well, that's the funny thing. You know, the, 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 since we moved over the new club yeah. with the high ceilings and stuff, it's very, very bass friendly. It, ah. just, it loves the bottom end. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so, I don't know, man. It's just, it's just a, a magic <laughs> thing about the bottom end of this town. And, uh, and, oh, it's pretty amazing. That's so funny. I had a, uh, I, I shouldn't talk about that. I'd be talking bad about somebody and I want to talk bad about anybody. I just had, had a, a player the other day, a bass player was playing yeah. too much. Oh, oh. Yeah, it's just like, it's like, oh. you gotta, you know, you gotta pick and choose your notes, man. Don't play them, don't play them all. Just because there's seven strings in that thing doesn't mean you have to play all of them. And, uh, and he was seven strings. Anyway, so Tim, Tim Gilson walked in, and we both kind of smiled at each other. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, no, it is, amazing, it is amazing, right? I mean, dude, that's yeah. amazing players who live here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. we're really – the great thing right now, uh, and, again, it breaks out of just the jazz mold, is to see the young players who, who cut their teeth here yeah. who are now stepping out there on, oh, yeah. the, on the world stage. Obviously, yeah. Esperanza is, yeah. is taking that to, to another level with the Grammys and everything, right. but – uh, but now you got Jared out there touring, yeah, Jared. Uh, and uh, Liv out there, and you know Farnell's out there, and these guys are like they're spreading the word now, and the word's getting back like, hey, you know Portland's got these great musicians in it, yeah, and now people come and kind of seeking it out, like, well, what's this all about? I know. So uh, it, uh, it's good. It's too bad there's no place to play except Jimmy Max. Yeah, well, I mean, there's other venues, but they're just there's you know it's it's not any place that's really uh, associated with jazz per se. I mean, there's right. a lot of great music venues in this town. But uh, but to find a place that really, I mean, like I said, I can name five places that have any kind of a regular jazz feature to them. And right. uh, and uh, the interesting thing about it is finding that um, musicians now are uh, 
especially the, the younger, the newer generation musicians, are taking it upon themselves to find places to play and creating gigs. Yeah. And that actually is a really good thing. You know, we were talking about Leroy a second ago. That's what Leroy did at, at Atwater. Right. He made, went and made that gig happen. Yep. You know, and, uh, and uh, instead of like, you know, trying to break into a place where there's a lot of other players playing, well, I'm just going to make my own gig. Yeah. And you know what? That worked really well. Yeah. And so uh, uh, there's something to be said for that. And uh, the entrepreneurial aspect of these young guys like, hey, man, we want to play. We want to play our music. Let's go find a place to play. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I mean, it's tough because on one hand, they're playing for nickels and dimes. But if they can get their foot in the door and establish themselves yeah. and you have a, a business owner says, all right, this is a viable thing. Yeah. These guys are bringing – bringing money into my business. Yeah. Okay. Now I can afford to pay them something. Okay. That's the beginnings of something at least. Yeah. You know? All right. One more thing. Uh, and and I, I wrote about this about 10 years ago, mm -hmm. but I don't think anybody's explained it since then. Okay. And you, you, I hope you, I'm sure you know the, the answer to this, but uh, the septet. Yes. How do they do that? <laughs> Who calls the tunes? How do they know where to go? Uh, you know, okay, it's funny because there's an evolution of this Because they don't, they, they play, they don't stop they, playing. They segue. For an day. hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, it's a lot of, it's what's calling audibles on stage, obviously. Uh, back in the day, uh, when it was, uh, sex set, when, when Thera yeah. and Warren Rand was in the band, yeah. uh, you'd, you'd see hands, a lot of hand signals. Uh huh. Uh, the great story, I'll, I'll interject with another, with another funny story, but which will tell you a lot, actually, uh, about that question. Um, uh, it was the uh, actually it was a set that Stan Bach was playing on the band, and it was Warren, Thera, uh, Gordon, Andre, Mel, and uh, and Renato. And uh, this is at the old club years ago. And at the set break, in walks a bunch of horn players, a bunch of guys from uh, Maynard Ferguson's band. Uh -huh. And um, I think one of the guys playing the band uh, knew Stan from the Air Force days, uh -huh. but he wasn't with them. But he just told these guys, "Hey, you need to go down check out this band. It's my buddy plays in it. This is a good band." Blah blah blah. Well, these are a bunch of young cats, like you know, fresh out of North Texas State or whatever, and uh, and you know, you know, you know, shit fire horn players, whatever. So they walk the door. It's a set break, so they're not hearing what these guys are playing. But you know, they start, you know, horn players start talking about me. You see the horn cases and Warren up there start talking to the guys. Yeah. I'm like, hey, you guys ought to come up and sit in. You know, we're playing all the Blakey stuff. And there was this like, you know, well, we'll check you out and see if you're any good, and <laughs> then you know, maybe we'll come sit in. And it was like, oh. <laughs> okay, so the band gets back up on stage, and Thera kind of looks around, and he does—he pounds the top of his head with his hand, which is hammer—that's his hand sign for hammerhead, you know that, that Blakey tune. And uh, and so the band comes out, you and they're and like the hair is blowing back on their heads. These guys grabbed their horns and sprinted for the door. They had no idea what the hell they walked into, but that's that, that's the thing, you know. That band had. Uh, that started uh, it. Yeah. Uh, it's well, it was a Blakey thing uh, yeah. initially, right. uh, and that, and you know they they carried that tradition over. And now, if you watch those guys play, uh, they'll be on stage, and and for the most part, it's usually Derek uh, Sims uh, uh, directing traffic as work. Uh -huh. But sometimes Mel passes that baton around, where sometimes John asks to be directing traffic. Yeah. Sometimes Gordon is doing. Sometimes Mel is doing himself. Yeah. And they'll be playing a tune, and they'll you know be playing the figure. Somebody's playing a solo, and then whoever's directing traffic will be like, all right, go to. You know, bam, this tune, whatever, and they'll literally just, and it's sort of like a, a everybody's kind of, it's again, it's 
some of it is eye contact and knowing, yeah. okay, when we're going to hit something. Yeah. And some of it's just stepping in. It's just natural. Uh, you know, the last couple of nights, we, uh, last couple of weeks, we had Grant Richards uh-huh. uh, subbing a piano for Gordon. was Gordon's on vacation. And which is another great example. Here's Grant who came up cutting his teeth, sitting in with that band as a teenager. Yeah. And now he's back from school. And he's coming and playing. And, it's, and he's playing his butt off. He's doing great. Yeah. Uh, but it's really funny because here comes Grant and he's playing with them the other night. And, uh, and, uh, Derek, I think Derek called it, uh, a tune called, uh, Country Life that, uh, that John wrote as a feature for Renato. Yeah. Well, so Grant's never even seen this tune, right? <laughs> and so he calls it and Grant, and, and it's like, oh, and so he's, and the band actually had to stop playing for a second. Oh. Because Grant had to find the tune. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and they did, and it was great. And they played it and they, they killed it. But, uh, there's, you know, there's that example. Sometimes it doesn't work. But so it's okay. You know, just figure it out and then, then we, we'd roll in. But there's definitely a, uh, that no look pass is what I used to call it. And, uh, it's really fun. When, especially when they start, they'll be playing, they'll, they'll play eight bars of milestones and then, and then, and then just like make a left turn into another tune for eight bars and then bam, eight bar, eight more bars of milestones. And, uh, uh, it's really fun to watch, man. Especially when they're, yeah. they're cooking like this, like the other night, Tuesday night, yeah. they were cooking with gas. Yeah. And I felt bad because John was out of town. He was in uh, LA yeah. doing a, um, uh, a, a, uh, uh, a clinic on, uh, on, uh, uh-huh. uh, applications for, uh, for, yeah. uh, uh, iPad technology and stuff. Well, you know, he, well, he, that's he, his thing. He, he built the original Oregon Music News site. Oh, he did. I didn't realize that. Yeah, John's John is a uh, he is a really exceptional young man. Uh, aside from obviously the music development we're talking about the last few years, he's also got the gumption to understand that he needs to have other avenues of income and stuff, yeah. and he's been doing that. And uh, he's just and it's also funny too. He's he's developed after uh, all these years being around this band. Uh, he's developed a great. Uh, um, uh, Sarcasm and uh, and uh, and a very very sharp wit. Oh man, he's funny yes. as hell. He's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Do love that kid. Yeah. Well, look, uh, I don't know how we've uh, talked all this time and not talked about baseball. I know, seriously. <laughs> Interesting <laughs> season right now, man. When, when I you know when I come to the club, we usually you know we usually talk some baseball. Yeah. But, uh, hey, thanks a lot for coming in. and uh, This has been great. Thomas, my pleasure, man. Anytime, always, man. This is always, always fun talking with you. Absolutely. Always fun. All right. Thanks a lot. Man. You bet. Thank you. Okay.